Well, we've been looking at the prophet Elijah over the last few weeks, and been looking about how he's been sustained through three and a half years of drought, and the Lord divinely provided sustenance for him, and of course the Lord used him to bring the drought and spoke through him, and he had to diligently pray for that judgment to come upon the land, but we're going to see that a change is taking place now, that God is doing something new, and that's something we're looking for, right? Because we're kind of in a drought, you could say, of the word of the Lord and of truth and of righteousness in our land, but we're looking for a change, and and I, I was kind of encouraged in just look, studying this and how God brought about a change in their land. That was one of his purposes. And so we're going to look at, at that in Elijah, but we also see it takes a fight. It takes work. He had to cry out to God. God had to, to work in him and to do something powerful in him. Uh, now, the last place we saw Elijah was in the town of Zarephath. And we looked at how that speaks of the refining of metals. And I just wanted to just touch on that a little bit more. Because there was a refining taking place in the heart of the prophet and, and in even the, the heart of the widow that he's with, we're going to see how there was a really deep work done. Um, you know, but in that famine, God was meeting with them. He was sustaining them, giving, every, giving them everything they needed, right? They had a, a pot of oil and a barrel of meal that was endless. That sure would be nice, right? That'd save on some grocery bills, right? Some of you have some big families there. I'm sure you pay a lot of money on groceries, and you know, it'd be nice if you opened up your cupboards and Boy, the cereal box just keeps going and going. Well, that's how God moved. Because there wasn't any cereal, you know. Like you could say, you could equate it that they'd go to the grocery stores and the store's shelves were empty. Because there just wasn't food. And so God met with them and sustained them. And I think we're going to see that in days to come. But, you know, there's a message there for us as well. And, you know, they ate that many days many days. Some people think it was over a year that they had, they lived off that, you know, probably not much of a variation in the diet, right? Meal and oil, but hey, that's better than nothing, right? But many days. So he experienced this greater level of, prov- of provision, right? Be- where before he got like occasional meals, the ravens would come, he'd be looking, man, I'm hungry. Hope those ravens come soon and drop some food for me. So that morning and evening they came occasionally, but then, of course, now he he he's at a different level. It's consistent, it's everlasting, unending, not everlasting, but unending in that sense that he can have as much as they want because it never ran dry. Now, of course, this story is in the natural, right? and God does want to supply all of our natural needs. He wants to sustain us. And he's perfectly capable of doing that, right? He's the, he's the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's very wealthy. And he, ha- he can supply whatever we need. And he wants to do that. He wants to sustain us. He wants to give us spiritual life and spiritual health as well as natural life and natural health. And even in the midst of difficulty of drought, God wants to meet with us and give us life. I remember the Lord spoke to us once and, and he, to my wife and I, he said, I want to, to make you like trees 
that put down roots into the ground. And what we understood from that is, you know, some trees, if there's lots of water, like here in Florida, water table is pretty shallow. It's like you dig about three or four feet and you, you hit water. So the trees here, their roots can stay nice and shallow. And a lot of times that's where they get blown over in the hurricanes is because, well, they got shallow roots. But in some places, the water table is much lower. And so they just have to keep going down and down and down until they hit water. Well, the difference is the ones who have to get their roots deep, the wind doesn't blow those over very easily, right? Because the roots are deep. And it's, that's that concept that God wants our roots to go deep in him that he can sustain us in whatever season we're in. The danger of the shallow roots, right? Just always having the abundance and the easiness and never having to, to look for anything. Well, when the winds come, we don't have that same stability. But sometimes difficulty, it's a blessing because it causes us to put our roots down in Christ. We don't have any other choice because we wouldn't make it otherwise. And, and so God is doing that in the life of the prophet. And it's a testimony of what he desires to do in us. A refining, a deepening, so that our roots go down deep, like so that we've tapped into a source of life that it will not only sustain us, but it will keep us steady. It causes us to grow in strength. We see a picture of that in, in Psalm 1. All right, we, we can probably quote Psalm 1 or familiar with Psalm 1. Right, verse 1, blessed is the man that walks in the counsel of ungodly, doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit, sit in the seat of the scornful. But what is he like when he doesn't do those things and he goes after God? He's like a tree planting by the rivers. Uh, but his, he's like a, or, but his, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his, in his law does he meditate day and night. So he does that instead of walking with the, the ungodly. But then verse 3, that, that will make him to become like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. We want verse 3. We want to be verse 3. Problem is we got to deal with verses 1 and 2 first. Right? There's things we have to not do. There's things we have to hate and avoid. But then there's verse 2. There's things we got to love and we got to do and follow and obey. Then we'll be like that tree and we'll be established in him. Whatever season, right? Whatever drought or difficulty, that instead of withering, we flourish when everything else is withering because we've, we've been established with that source of life and water and health. It causes us to become closer and closer to that that source of life. Now, I was reading some of what Pastor Bailey, or I remember him sharing stories when he was young and he lived in England. And, you know, probably some of you have heard of the Welsh Revival. It happened like in the early 1900s. Well, that was a little too early for Pastor Bailey. But he knew some of the leaders from that. So he was a young man and, and he used to, uh, to go and minister and he knew some of the leaders in that revival, and they would tell him stories from that revival. And um, actually, the revival happened, and then there was terrible economic uh, problems in Wales. They went through a terrible time. Hardly anyone had jobs. 
you know, that there wasn't a lot of money, not a lot of food and so forth. And people had to make a decision and some left. They just went to more prosperous places. Some came to America or some went to England or different things. But he said that the the leaders there shared that some chose to stay. And the ones that stayed, they experienced the power of God like like no other generation had in Wales and you know in a different way. They'd experienced power and revival, but now they're going through this this tribulation. And and he said that God met with them in provision, in blessing, and in sustenance. And so the revival prepared them. But so Pastor Bailey said that, you know, husbands would come home not finding any work. And, you know, he said the wives prayed. They prayed and prayed. And, you know, there was no food in the house, so the wives prayed. And and they would open their, we call it their, their kitchen cabinets, and there would be food in there. They didn't buy it, but they would be stocked with food. In fact, they, there was accounts of some milk bottles. You know, today we get plastic cartons or jugs, but back then they would have these. And I used to live in England, and they would deliver milk every day of these little little bottles. So they would have this milk bottle. They pull it out of the the cupboard. Well, they had like ice boxes or different things back then, but they'd pour it out, and they said it never ran dry. That that literally sustained them. It was very similar to Elijah's miracle. But they experienced that that provision, that blessing, because they had met him in a revival, and they felt, no, Lord, you want to meet me in this time of difficulty, and I'm willing to to be where you want me to be, to go where you want me to go, so that I can meet with you in a new way. And those who stayed experienced God in a new level. And they had those wonderful stories of of how God met with them. And, you know, that of course, that in that revival, it was in the natural, but it, there was a spiritual element too. But, you know, even for us, God wants to do that work in our spiritual lives because that's what matters. You know, whether we have food or not, that, that matters whether we're alive now, but whether we have life of the Spirit of God is going to determine whether we're alive in eternity, right? We want spiritual life. That's what matters the most. It's like David said, Lord, I count your spiritual life, the things I get from you, they're more important than my food that I eat. I'd rather have life from you and go hungry on earth because, well, if I have life for you, I'll live for eternity, but if I don't have your life, I can have everything I want on this earth, but it's all for nothing because it only lasts a short time. And so God wants to do that work within us that we're planted, we're rooted in him. Our life is coming from him. And we don't have to wait for revival for that. We don't have to wait and say, well, I guess God's going to do something in revival. Then, then things will change in my life. Well, we don't want to wait that long. God wants to do something now and even today if we'll hear his voice. Now, I want to consider another account as well with Elijah, and that's the raising of the widow's son. Because we know in the story that, um, you know, they thought, or I'm sure the widow thought, man, this is great. I've got an unendless supply of food in my house, and those, my poor neighbors, they don't have anything like that. But then something terrible happened. Her son died. Right? And they thought, you know, we're coming, we're coming to the end of our trial. God's been sustaining us. 
But, you know, so often the darkest part of our trial comes before the dawn, the deliverance. And so, you know, this widow had, had seen and experienced the power of God, but now she was really being tested in her faith. And so in 1 Kings 17 and verse 18, she says, she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O man of God? Are you come to call my sin to remembrance? Right? Am I, are you, did you come here really just to judge me because I'm a sinner and to slay my son? Have you ultimately just come here to do evil for me when I thought you came to do good? And, you know, even though she'd been with the prophet, probably learning of God, I, I think it would be hard to be around Elijah without being impacted, learning about God and his power and, and so forth, experiencing and knowing his ways. But still, there was something that needed to take place. There was still a refining that had to take place, probably in her as well as the prophet. And, you know, we can walk with God for years. We can experience him. But sometimes he'll, it's, it's like we qualify to go to a new level, right? A deeper work. And that's really what this is speaking of, a new level of provision, a deeper work that God wants to do. And so this, this woman says, have you come to slay me and my son? Right? Now we're looking at it from a provision a position outside of her trial. And so sometimes it's hard to, to think, how can she say that after, you know, God met with her and sustained her for that period of time? She just doesn't have faith. Well, you know, sometimes you go through a trial and you're, you're doing great, but then God branches up the heat, right? He turns the dial on the heat and things come out of us that we didn't even know were there, right? That we, that were kind of hidden. And that's, Ultimately, the purpose of the trial, right? When God wants to reveal some things that were in us. He wants to do a deeper refining. Where God reveals something that was within. You know, I was thinking of the prophet Job. That was really the whole purpose of his trial. Job was one of the most righteous men on earth. In fact, in his generation, he was probably the most righteous man. But he, had, he didn't realize he had something in his heart. God wanted to get at that would make him even better, that would refine him to an even greater degree. And so God wanted to take him through some things. And he allowed Satan to come in and test him, right, to touch his family, his business, his worldly possessions. He basically lost everything. But, you know, he had walked with God. He knew what it was like to, to follow God. And, and you see, you read his wonderful testimony and his reaction Right? He basically said, you know, I came into this world with nothing. That's okay if I leave with nothing. And we, we hear that beautiful response in Job one twenty one. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God foolishly. And so Job was a man who knew God. And he knew how to walk in his ways. For any of us, that would be a pretty deep trial, right? To lose absolutely everything. And, you know, I don't, I, I probably would have a few things that might pop out of me of reactions if, if I had to go through that. Of course, that's why we're still on earth being refined. But, you know, God wanted to do a further refinement. You know, Job was here, but he, God wanted to bring him even higher. 
you know, it was kind of like he was 97% pure, you know, gold. But God wanted to bring him to 99.999. And so we know the story that Satan was allowed to come in and now touch his body. But if you read carefully, that's actually not the thing that troubled him the most in his trial. That, that wasn't the thing that really was disturbing him. I think one of the hardest parts is that for many months, Job did not feel the presence of God. He didn't hear his voice. He didn't have direction. He didn't have understanding. I think he was used to walking with God and getting understanding and hearing his voice and knowing how he was going to get, you know, be, how the way he was supposed to go and find deliverance. But he had nothing. Well, he did have something. He had three good friends that came and gave, gave him some advice. And of course, when you, when you read it, it, it's not very pleasant advice. They basically said, Job, just tell us what you did wrong. You did something wrong. You're a sinner. Of course, we know that from his first reaction, you know, he had been walking with God. He was one of the most righteous men. And God wanted to do something. And so it was a difficult trial. The trial of silence was what was really working in him. And, and he didn't realize it. It brought some things out that afterwards he regretted. You know, and, and so it caused some reactions to come out he didn't expect. I wonder if, if Job in the beginning, if he could have seen what he was going to say about God. I wonder if he would have been, not me, never, kind of like Peter. Lord, never, I wouldn't, I'd never say those things or do those things. But sometimes you don't realize what's within and God graciously shows us. And so, you know, we're going to see this in, in Elijah's life as well, how, you know, God met him and had to do some things in his heart and, and encourage him. But, you know, Job in his trial started to say a few things like this. Job 9 and verse 17. God is breaking me with a tempest and he's multiplying my wounds without cause. Mm. Lord, I don't think you're being fair. That's a big statement for God who's perfect and just and righteous. And, you know, whereas previously Job had declared him to be. But now, Lord, I, I don't know if you're being fair. Then also Job 19 and verse 10. He's destroyed me on every side and I'm gone. And my hope, he's removed like a tree. He's kindled his wrath against me and it counted me as one of his enemies. Whoa. That's a pretty strong statement. He's basically saying the Lord is being like an enemy to me. That's not a good statement to say. But sometimes those things are the, the dross that come out of our heart when God really takes us through the trial. The things he wants to reveal that we, we would never believe we, we could say something. I just wonder if Job would have never believed he would say those words about God until he went through it, until God was trying to speak something to him. And then we, receive, we see the reaction of one of Job's faithful friends you know, after, after, when everyone's said their piece, right, Job and his friends and everything, and everyone's silent, like, what, what more can we say? Well, one of Job's righteous friends said something. In Job 32 and verse 2, 
Then was the wrath of Elihu kindled. And he, and he said he was angry with Job because he justified himself rather than God. And that was it. I'm, I'm perfect and I'm right, but God, you weren't fair. You were treating me like an enemy. You know, but God was trying to get at that at his core, that he still needed something. He needed a work, that work of, of humility and of meekness to submit to God's plan. And, you know, sometimes God will take us through deep trials. He'll take us through things that we don't understand, but it's to bring us to that point of confession or realization. And sometimes we don't even have to go through that deep and dark of a trial if we'll come to that point and humble ourselves. Lord, I was thinking things of you that weren't right. Lord, do something in me. Change me. And that's, that's, the rea- that's the reaction God has to bring us to. You know, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 3 and verse 3. He said, Some of you, uh, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yes, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. You know, that has to be the foundation of our lives. The ultimate reaction that that God wants to work with on us. Lord, your way is true. If there's something wrong with the situation, well, if God's true, there's only one other person that's, that's messing up here. There's only one other person in the equation. It's me. Lord, change me. Lord, deal with me. Do whatever it takes to bring me to that place of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to refine us sometimes and bring us through the fires so that we have a right confession and a right view of God but it brings us life. It brings life to us when we come to that place and we surrender to him. And not just any life, resurrection life. Because that's what we see with this widow. All right? She comes to Elijah and shows her son has died. He takes him up into a loft. He cries out to God. He lays upon the child three times and life comes back into him. He's made alive again. You know, so we're considering... Elijah's life and ministry as a type of what God wants to do in the last days. You know, God's going to restore his people, his church. He wants to bring them out of that drought of life that the church is experiencing today. And, you know, we can kind of sense that there's, you know, when we're looking for the life and the moving of the spirit, it's hard to find these days to see God move, to hear his voice speaking and directing but God is going to break that drought. And how is he going to do that? Through his resurrection power. Through his power flowing through us. And, you know, I believe we are going to come into the days where we see the dead raised to life again. And God's going to display his miraculous power as a sign, a testimony to the whole earth that he reigns in the heavens. Romans 8, verse 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall 
quicken your mortal bodies, shall empower you by the spirit that dwells in us. You know, but that power is not just reserved for revival, for people to be raised from the dead and so forth. It's available to us now. In the truest sense, in the, you know, the truest fulfillment, it's to bring back those who are spiritually dead. As I said at the beginning, the death that really matters is the second death. Right? The death where we might die in this life, but you know, we can live for all eternity in the presence of God. The death we should fear is the, the next one that comes. But God, in his resurrection power, can bring life. He can change one who is dead and make them alive again. And that's the power he wants to release in his people and in his church. Or those who are spiritually weak, transforming them into those who are mighty in faith and in the power of God. Mighty to believe him. Mighty to trust in him. You know, sometimes we think like, you know, these powerhouse Christians are just people who can perform miracles. Right, of healing or who can pray for people and they fall down slain in the spirit. And so that, that's who is admired in the church today. But you know, I think those heaven admires are those who have the power to believe God for whatever he says. That when God speaks, you know, it takes a great power to believe the word of God and accept it by faith. And those who can receive his word, no matter what he says, I think heaven respects them. They're going to be famous when they get to heaven. Oh, that's the person that trusted God in that situation that seemed impossible to them. But they got a hold of God. They experienced his resurrection power to get life, to overcome, to triumph in every situation. God wants his power to flow through us to bring life. You know, that resurrection power flowed at Zarephath, the refining of metals. God wants to do a refining work in our lives to bring us to that place of humility and surrender. The realization of the goodness and the plan of God and the submitting to that so that his power can flow. And he can use us as conduits for his power. You know, I was doing a little electrical work and you know, when, I, when I do that, I'm always very respectful even though I'm only working with 120, you know, I wasn't working with the, with 240. That's, I really respect that. But, you know, I'm always, wait, did I turn that off? Let's get the tester out. Let's test it. Let me check the circuit. You know, I'm respect, I respect that because there's power there. God wants his people to flow in power. He wants us to be a conduit of his power because it's mighty. It can change and transform people as we allow it to flow through our lives. But, you know, there's that one thought of, of conduits or electrical cables. You know, electrically, electric flows best when it has very little resistance. You know, electric can flow through some things. It can flow through iron or steel. But it, there's a lot of resistance in that because there's a lot of slag and mixture in that. Right? And so no one uses iron or steel in wires to allow electric, electricity to flow, these days we all use copper, right? Because it's much more pure, you know, and electric, electric can, electricity can flow through that. Of course, the ultimate they use in, in really sensitive electronics is gold because there's very little resistance in gold. 
power can flow through that. And so as we're looking at Job, who declared by faith, Lord, when I come out of this, you're going to make me like gold that's been purified. You know, God wants to do that work in us at that place of Zarephath. Because when he refines us, it opens up the power of God to flow. And so let's ask the Lord today, Lord, will you do that work in me? Would you remove the resistance in me to your power? Now, we we understand what we're praying there because how does the resistance get removed from those metals? It goes into the fire. (laughs) The heat gets turned up. We say things we never thought we would say about others or sometimes about God even. But, you know, that has to come to the surface. It has to be removed. God wants to do that because it will open up the life of the Spirit. It will allow the the power of God to flow through us so that we can do all things through Christ who empowers us. So that we can come into those words that the Apostle Paul used to say. right? I can overcome in everything, in all situations. Sometimes I read that and I'm like, Lord, did he really know what he was? Because there's some things I'm not overcoming in. What's going on? Well, if that's the case, I need to come to Zarephath and have some refining take place. But when that happens, his power flows. His anointing flows. His life flows. Father, we just thank you. Lord, thank you for your power. Thank you for your great love for us that you desire to come in a new and a fresh way into our lives. Lord, we just even present ourselves to you now, Lord. We ask that you would just reveal these areas in our hearts. Lord, we come to you, Lord, and, and just pray, would you remove the resistance? Lord, would you do whatever it takes? And Lord, we, we recognize, we realize that that might uh, require difficult situations or, Lord, difficult situations of just releasing and surrendering to you. Oh, but Lord, would you empower us to do that? Lord, by your grace that we could surrender to your work in our lives and your empowerment, that you would set us free. Lord, cause your resurrection power to flow through us in a new and a fresh way, we ask. Oh, Lord, refine us. Do that work that we could flow in your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Lord bless you.